This is Hope FM. Well, as you heard me say at the top of the programme, my very special guest today is Eddie Martin. Eddie is a husband, a father, a grandfather, a charity activist, a Bible teacher, a singer and an author. He's also been honoured by Her Majesty the Queen uh, for his work. And that was for your charity work, wasn't it, uh, Eddie? Yes, it basically was for the charity work. But uh, one of the rules about having an honour from the the Queen is that it has to be something you've done in Great Britain or the Commonwealth. And my charity work is not in Great Britain or the Commonwealth, it's in, in West Africa. So the people that uh, put me forward for the for the award actually concocted up some other things about me, which was my work on the railway um, and also the fact that in my past I was very much involved in visiting prisons and working with the prison chaplaincy, when I was, especially when I was in East Midlands. So they used that, but they told me in no uncertain terms when I got the honour that it was really for the work I've done in Africa. Excellent, and we're going to be talking about that. Now, you heard me also saying at the top of the programme that it's one thing to... To, to focus, as we are doing this week, on the, the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. But, of course, many people say, well, the so what? Faith is a very, very powerful force. And I guess that primarily, and what I should have really put in headlines, is that Eddie uh, is a man of faith. But that faith journey had to begin somewhere. So what was it like for you? How did it all begin for you? How did it all begin? Well, I was uh, born in Rob Royston Hospital in a very downmark area of Glasgow, way back in 1947. Uh, I was a, a pretty weakling as a child, I had very bad asthma, and uh, my parents uh, moved down to the coastal town of Ayr, which was a much healthier place, um, and that's where I spent my childhood and began to grow up. Um, I had a a good childhood in some ways, but my father was a bit of an overbearing character and my mother had a hard time. My grandfather, who was a steam engine driver in Glasgow, was my best friend. And one of my earliest memories, actually, when I was about four, was being taken by my grandfather down to the engine sheds at Palmody and being being taken on to a steam locomotive and going from Palmody into Glasgow Central Station where he was the driver of the train down to Crewe. And uh, while, he, while I was doing that and going in on the, on, on, the, on, the tra- on the steam train with my grandfather, my aunt was going in on the 7A bus to meet me at the station to bring me back home. But I'll never forget that, the, the huge fire in the boiler uh, and the smoke and the steam and all the rest of it when I was four is a, is a memory that's there with me. And of Could, course, you had a lifetime working on the railways, didn't you? But well, not not driving the trains. <laughs> not not a lifetime. Um, my father didn't think it was a good thing to work on the railway. You know, you don't actually work. Nobody works on the railway, by the way. They all get paid handsome salaries, but nobody actually does very much. I'm not suggesting it's not a responsible, important job. It is, but uh, in most cases, it's a, it's a bit of an easy life, to be honest. And my father had grand, illusions of grandeur for me. I was to be a doctor or a vet, none of which happened, of course. I spent most of my life uh, in the transport, road haulage industry and management, which I enjoyed. And then after a short break, I did join the railway, working for my friend Richard Branson. Indeed. Well, we'll come back to that a a wee bit later on. Now, where did faith kick in to your early experiences? Well, I had the privilege, and I use that word uh, very carefully and with great meaning, of being brought up to attend a Brethren Assembly. Some of you might never have been in Brethren Assemblies. 
Um, and some Brethren Assemblies today, to be fair, are, are not really what the original uh, starters of that sort of movement uh, set it out to be. But when I was young, our Sunday morning service was always a, an open communion service where anybody could take part and we followed through a theme and there was loads of people there who had really good Bible knowledge and uh, the thing flowed amazingly. And so that was your Sunday morning. Sunday afternoon was the Bible class. And after that was the Sunday school, if you hadn't graduated from that. And then at 6.30 in the evening was the gospel service. So it was a wonderful day of rest. A wonderful day of rest. And the gospel service took place, whether or not there were any non-Christians there, which I could never understand. But uh, at the age of 12, um, having heard the gospel a million times, slight exaggeration, but many, many times, at our youth fellowship one evening, there was a, we used to do craft things and make stools and all the rest of it, the usual stuff. And uh, the, we had a, a, an epilogue from, from a man who was in the Merchant Navy, who was a captain, Captain Stuart Roger. He's only passed away a couple of years ago. And he just asked a question at the end of his little talk, you know, if you are a Christian or if you want to be sure you're a Christian, then come and talk to me before you go. And I did, and uh, we prayed together. That was the 12th of October, uh, 1959. So you can work out that my date of birth was indeed 1947, and I I was 12 at the time. Nothing dramatically changed, but the whole thing was real to me. And uh, the Bible that I knew made sense. So from there, I moved on. Well, let's have your first piece of music, which is an an interesting uh, song by Bobby Darren. Tell us about this one, Things. Yeah, Yeah, well, we'll get more serious as we go on. It is Easter and that will come through. But uh, I I didn't have an awful lot of time for the pop scene in my youth. It was only in its infancy, of course. Um, But I'm also a sort of nostalgic person. So when things went wrong, I tended to look back and say, remember the good times. And I suppose all of us do that from time to time. We look back to perhaps uh, spouses that are no longer with us or good jobs that we've now had to retire from, all the, all the things that come and go. And life is, is like that. But nevertheless, it is good to have happy memories. And this song sort of reminds you of the things you used to do that you enjoyed. It's by Bobby Darren. This is Hope FM. Well, that's uh, Bobby Darren there and and things. And we left Eddie uh, having made a commitment at the age of 12. So then how did things progress? And and how did your folks take to this new religious son that they had? (laughs) I have never and never will describe myself as religious. So that that question, there's no answer to it because I'm not a religious person. You'll have to tell us what you mean by that. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll tell you that later, later, if that's all right. You can. Let me just say that if you knew that last song, there is no reason why you still can't have a walk in the park or even a kiss in the dark. So don't think life is, is over just yet. But how did my life develop? What happened next? Well, I went to a university in Glasgow. I did geography. The only thing you can actually do with a geography degree is either teach it to others uh, or uh, a lecture about it. It's, it's not good for any particular career. So I then went into Road Hollage. But at university, I joined the Christian Union, so I met with uh, with Christians from other church groups. And uh, I suppose my faith grew during that time. There was ex- some, some excellent 
uh, Bible teachers that some of the names you you, you might know, but we can't haven't got time to get through that. Now I'll mention one. There's a Church of Scotland minister called William Still. He was up in Aberdeen, and he was a real sort of radical type, and uh, he was always challenging. He would always say something that would upset somebody else. And if you ever want a, to read a biography of someone, find a book about William Still, because uh, he he was never accepted for all the churches that he applied for to be a minister after he'd done his training until there was a church in Aberdeen called Gilcomston South and they couldn't find anyone to take this church on because it was in such a rundown area there was hardly anybody left in the congregation and so eventually realising that nobody else wants him because he was too outspoken he, they gave him this job at Gil, Gilcomston South Church in Aberdeen and within a few years this church was bursting at the seams with three or four hundred people and a student congregation and all the rest of it. He is quite a remarkable man but when he he told me once uh, I can still remember this that when he preached from a passage in the Bible there's three ways you can uh, you can preach from this passage you can look at it as a Bible student and analyse the passage and decide what it's really there for and what the main lessons are that's uh, that's okay uh, if that's what you've been asked to do and you feel that's right that's fine or the second uh, alternative uh, would be to look at the church that you're actually going to preach in. And you think about that church and you think about old Mrs. Smith and all so on, and you think, what would these people like to hear from this passage? So you go to the you go to that church and you preach in that way and you get lots of thanks on the way out. But actually, no, it's not made one blind bit of difference because they've all heard what they want to hear. Or the third way which was the way he recommended us to read the passage and spend time before God and go through the passage again and ask God to just show you which words you want to focus on on this, on this section. And uh, that was the way that he, he would approach his preaching. And I think that's very good advice. You shouldn't even consider your congregation, really. What does the Spirit lay on your heart from this passage? And you might be in a church where, you know, you're a visitor and you think, oh, I don't want to offend these people. I think it's more important, more acceptable to offend the people than it would be to offend the Holy Spirit by disobeying what he wants you to say. So that was, uh, that was going back to students and, and, and William Still. Um, what happened after that? I suppose the next thing that happened is that uh, I met my first wife. So romance was to blossom. Yeah, I should mention just at this stage, just, just for anyone who doesn't know me, there may be still be one or two, that uh, I, I was married to Karen for, for 33 years and then she was killed in a road accident. Well, well, sorry, married to Myra for 33 years and she was killed in a road accident in 2005, Monday the 5th of September. And then four years later, I married Karen and Karen has put up with me stoically and in a, in a wonderful way since then, since 2009. So that's that's my background. But uh, in, uh, in 2000, no, not 2000, in 1972, I, I married uh, Karen. That was me, as it were, uh, finding my, my true love, my first love. So, so you met Myra and... <laughs> In Scotland, uh, and, and was she a churchgoer as oh, well? Oh, yes, she was a good... She was a... You know, the brethren are composed of brethren and sister, and she was one of the sisters, one of the sisters in Kirkcaldy. I met her because we were visiting my cousins who lived in Kirkcaldy on one occasion, and I saw this uh, beautiful little girl uh, in a leather skirt, which I found quite fetching. 
And uh, that was the start of our, our, our hopefully mutual attraction. Now that brings us to your second choice of music, the yeah. great and late uh, Jim Reeves. Yeah. <laughs> I love you because. Yeah. Was this one of your courting songs? I'm not sure that it necessarily was, but um, it is a, it's, a tre- it's a tremendous statement at the start. I love you because you understand me. Every single thing I try to do. And we did make a great effort to understand each other. And that's not always easy. It's not always under- easy to understand your spouse and the reason why you want to use the, the reason why they want to use the vacuum seven days a week and you only want to use it once a fortnight. But you have to come to a, a level of understanding with your partner. And if you've got that understanding, then it's a good part of the recipe for success. But I would also say this, that you could apply this song to someone called Jesus. And we could say to him with absolute truth, I love you because you understand me. Because Jesus understands us, he understands what we do and what we think, might not approve of it, but he understands it because he was tempted and went through every situation in life just as we have. So he understands us. So you might think of this song uh, and listen to your husband or wife or to someone who's gone on before. If not, if you're perhaps have been single and never had a life partner, think of it as referring to Jesus, at least some of the words. Well, we'll play this song and then we'll nip down to Keith Jones and have a wee word with Adrian and see what, what books and music he's going to rec- uh, rec- recommend for us uh, this week. This is Jim Reeves and I Love You Because. This is Hope FM. Well, my very special guest today is uh, is Eddie. Uh, and Eddie Martin actually is no stranger to to writing books. Are you, Eddie? So I'm holding, I'm holding one of your... Was this your first book I'm holding in my hand? So it's Hard, hard to Kiss for Couples, but it's based on the Song of Solomon. Yeah, I think we better just give the full title. It is How to Know Intimacy with Your Saviour and Your Spouse. That would be too much on the cover, so I've abbreviated it to the acronym KISS. But it's really about some guidance on how to know intimacy with Jesus and to know intimacy with your spouse. So it's got a spiritual application and a practical application. I have to say, uh, just in case you're wondering, that uh, it's not a sex manual. But some people have nevertheless, because it does allude to sexual activity, some people have been mortally offended by it, but they're in a a severe minority. Other people, including pastors, it was proofread by several pastors before it went to the press, and other people, most people have given me very good feedback on it. But actually, it is a very important subject. I mean, uh, it was God himself who invented sex <laughs> and intimacy and so on. Uh, and, uh, and of course, that is how, you know, that we, uh, we, we go into relationships with folk, but, but also, you know, how uh, we continue to, to blossom and grow. Uh, I think the Bible talks about our, our quivers being full of arrows yeah. and that sort of thing. And of course, the book of Solomon that you have based this book on, Actually, in itself, is 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 quite a, an astounding book because it's very open about love and intimacy. Yeah, it's amazing in many ways. I mean, my book looks at every single verse and takes a spiritual and what I call a sensual application from it. As I studied, actually over many years, one of the problems with it, there are some of the words that are used in the original Hebrew for which nobody actually knows what uh, what that word 
actually means. So they have had to make one or two guesses. So there's a little bit of mystery to it as well. But I, I was always sort of puzzled by the fact that in my in my youth, every preacher I ever heard who ever spoke on it, and that wasn't very many, spiritualized everything about it. And I don't really think it's uh, it's meant for that. It's actually full of what you might call legitimate double meanings. Indeed. Now, of all the subjects that you could have chosen to write on, why did you choose this particular, and, and dare I say controversial subject? Yeah. Uh, but it's only controversial for some people. Well, quite a lot. <laughs> um, I chose it because, um, well, first of all, there was a book in my father's library which was written in 1927 or something on Saul Solomon, and it was actually quite interesting on the, on the, on the, on the spiritual side. It was all good stuff. And there's one or two other books, there's quite a lot of books that have been written more recently that really are, are not good. They are just beyond the pale and just take things to extremes. So I, I was not aware of any book which presented both sides, side by side, both applications. Incidentally, one publisher refused to publish it because I was saying the Bible had double meanings. But uh, I always refer to say different different applications, not their double applications, not double meanings. But isn't the truth of the matter that the Bible has multiple meanings? And what I mean by that is that you and I could read the same passage, Eddie. Absolutely. Uh, and of course, we, the Holy Spirit is the one who communicates. And of course, he knows exactly how to communicate and what we need to hear at that particular time. So, um, so I say multiple reasons because the Holy Spirit will use scriptures to talk to us, but in multiple Absolutely. multiple. Absolutely. Ways. Yeah, the best example I can give you of that is uh, an old missionary friend of mine who's still alive, up in Scotland. But he was a, he has been a missionary for many years. He was a nurse, and he felt called to go to India. His name is Robert Reavy. He kept called call to go to India way back in the nineteen seventies or thereabout, but he just couldn't get a visa. He couldn't get a visa, and he was sort of, I won't say angry with God, but questioning with God and praying to God, what's going on? Because he was sure God had called him to be a missionary. Anyway, that night after he'd prayed, he was reading his Bible and he came across a little phrase from India to Ethiopia. And as he read these words, they said it just as though it was shouting at me. And so for until now, he still goes back to Ethiopia for three months a year in, the, in his 80s. He's been a, a missionary in Ethiopia and seen many, many churches established. So, yes, God can speak to you from one word and many words in unusual ways. It's important generally we take things in context, but uh, the Spirit can use the word. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you talked about some negative feedback that you had from the book, but what about the positive stuff? <laughs> what did people have? What, what was it encouraged you that people said, have, having read the book? I think that, well, um, some people said they'd wish they'd had it when they were young, which is understandable. But I think of one, one friend of mine, Gordon Wright, he recently passed away. He was, in a, he was, he was bedbound for a long time, but and his wife had gone before, but he really relished uh, this the spiritual side of it because all the meditations, all the spiritual meditations concern our relationship with Jesus and how we can develop it and grow it and what might negatively affect it, what might positively affect it. So even if you are a single person, you can still get the book and read just the spiritual part if you want and you'll still benefit from it. Well, changing subject, of course, I'm holding another one of your books here yeah. uh, in my hand, and, um, and Not Very Fair. What's the real pronunciation of the larger title there? Uh, uh, not Very Far, actually. Not Very Far. Not Very Far. Um, uh, Pazanyere, uh, that's the Maori language in West Africa, and it means not very far. 
And that relates to the fact that uh, when you were going somewhere from the capital out into the bush somewhere, you would ask them how long it would take to get there or where it was, and they would invariably reply, Pazanure, not very far, which of course told you absolutely nothing. Now, this this book, and indeed a lot of your your work that you're currently undertaking in in Africa, and specifically in Burkina Faso, which is one of the poorest countries in Africa, in memory of of your first wife, Myra. Yeah. Um, tell us a wee bit about Myra. You you met in Scotland. You were married for how many years? We were married for thirty three years. Yeah. But then, of course, the uh, tragedy was to strike uh, yeah. on a September morning. T- tell us. Uh, about what happened. Okay. Tragedy happened on the 5th of September 2005, but in August 2005, three weeks before, Myra and I were in holiday in uh, in uh, Brazil. And before we'd gone to Brazil, uh, someone in Pinehurst Church in West Moors gave, gave me a book to read on holiday, and the book was entitled Is God to Blame? And I... Well, funny thing to give someone a book to read in holiday. And uh, it was, uh, in fact, about a, a, a story about a woman who had lost a baby or lost several babies and couldn't understand it and wanted to know if it was God's fault. And the book was okay, but it was still a strange book to, to give me. While we were on that holiday also, we went to the Iguazu Falls, and two two things happened there that were interesting. One, I was uh, until. And about that, till about that time, I was a very bad asthmatic. And on this particular day, I was really bad. And the, the tour guide uh, saw that I was quite distressed. And uh, he said to me, out the blue, are you a Christian? And I said, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, he says, well, we can pray about your asthma, because you can't go down to these waterfalls in this state. Is that all right? So I said, yeah, of course it's all right. So this... Uh, uh, this uh, Brazilian guy, whoever he was, I can't even tell you his name, he's just a guide, he put his hand on my shoulder and prayed in an animated fo- fashion that God would remove the asthma from me and so that I could enjoy the day. And ten seconds later, it had gone. And that was the first of I'd never seen that before happen. And it doesn't happen all the time, don't get me wrong, but on that occasion, that just happened, just like that. And when we got to the... When we got to the the falls, there was a plaque there, which was Psalm 93, verse 4. And Psalm 93, verse 4, I'm sure you all know off by heart, it says, Mightier than the thunder of the great waters, the Lord is greater than our troubles. The Lord on high is mighty, sorry, great, mightier than the sound of the great waters, the Lord on high is mighty. And underneath someone had written, God is greater than all our trouble. So I was getting this sort of message about tragedy and trouble. So anyway, I came back home. I've been taking a photograph of this, uh, this, uh, this sign, this plaque. Came back home, went back to work, and on Monday the 5th of uh, uh, September 2005, I was travelling up to Birmingham uh, on the 920 from Bournemouth, uh, which went to Newcastle, and uh, journey was okay. When I got to Birmingham New Street at quarter to one and I was walking up to the canteen to get some lunch, I looked at my phone and I had about 100 missed calls. I couldn't count the number of missed calls I had from all sorts of people. And Every time I tried to phone one of them back, they wouldn't answer the phone or they didn't answer the phone or it was engaged. So I knew that something really, something serious had happened. 
I eventually managed to get through to Chris Sinkinson. Some of you may all know Chris Sinkinson well, and he, Myra was a teacher at Alderholt, where Chris was, Chris still is. And I eventually got through to Chris, and he was a little bit surprised to catch me, to, 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 for me to get through to him, I think. And uh, he, he said something to me which... Uh, I don't know what you would say in that circumstances, knowing he knew what had happened. Uh, but he said, are you near a police station? And I said, no, I'm not, Chris, but I can tell that something's happened. That's not good. And he said, well, at least sit down somewhere and I'll have a chat to you. So he took down, I sat down and he said that my wife had been killed by this uh, crazy driver uh, on her way to work that morning at eight o'clock. But... Uh, you know what it's like trying to get through to British Rail. Nobody could find me. But, of course, eventually they did. But God was God was in it even from then because I met this manager in Birmingham that I didn't know. And it turned out he was a believer. And uh, he, he brought me back to Bournemouth. And uh, that, that was the start of a completely new phase in, in my life. Now, obviously, you'd, you'd read those books, you, you'd heard the scriptures, you were a man of faith. How, how did you cope once you got over the initial shock of hearing those words from, from Chris? It's quite strange. Um, obviously, I had to tell Myra's brothers and brothers and my, my children and so on. And it was a, it was an extremely traumatic time. But I felt completely supported by God. Um, obviously, I was upset. My life was changed forever. And it was something I, I couldn't understand. We were just getting to the point where our children were sort of growing up and were starting to live a bit. We'd just been to Brazil with other plans. And uh, it, had all, it had all been changed. But God's plans are always greater than our plans. But I can remember going to Pinehurst one Sunday shortly after Myra died and this 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 man came up to me, his name was Jeff Cooper. He is with the Lord as well now. In fact, his wife has just died this week. And Jeff said to me, I don't know how you can carry on the way you're carrying on after what's happened. And I said, well, I can't carry on, but the Lord is supporting me. The little verse that says, underneath are the everlasting arms, came absolutely to life. And then, of course, the Christian hope from My- Myra you know, Myra was gone in an instant. She actually lived in fear of dying a long, slow death from cancer, and she was gone in a in a millisecond, apparently. And uh, it's all right for her, to be honest. <laughs> Some people have have visions and so on. You know, particularly with sudden death yeah. uh, and so on. Did did did. Didn't you have that experience you know, where God does something really special, but just to reassure you that actually Myra's okay and she's with me? Yeah, I think the things that had happened before these um, had prepared you, had prepared me, and also one of the one of the verses I read immediately after. Uh, I can't quote it word for word, but it's in Genesis where it's uh, looking at the, the the story of Joseph and I being chucked in a pit and then rescued and so on, and it's been a tough time. And when he eventually met his father again, um, he said, he said to his brothers, you planned this for evil, but God planned it for good to the salvation of many souls. I could never, never in a million years, I get tingly thinking about this, because thousands of souls have been saved in Africa on account, I'm not saying they wouldn't have been saved in some other way if it hadn't happened, but on account of what happened to Myra, thousands and thousands of people have become believers in the Lord Jesus. 
Well, let's have your next piece of music and then we'll talk, obviously, because there was a lot of very positive feed, fallout from Myra's death, which, of course, continues uh, even as, as we're speaking right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, your, your next track is John Lennon. Imagine, yeah. interesting choice of music. Why this one? Well, just the very first line, I think it is, or not the first line, but the, the line in it, imagine there's no heaven. And, uh, you know, that to me is just, if there was no heaven... What would be the point of living another day beyond today? Because there's nothing to look forward to, but there would be no hope. And the biggest blessing of the Christian faith is the hope that it brings. There's another song about hope later on. And uh, this song says, Imagine There's No Heaven. One wonders what John Lennon did believe. But at this service, Chris Simkinson gave the talk, and I asked him to speak about heaven. And, of course, there was all sorts of people there in St Mary's Ferndown, and hundreds and hundreds of people People from my my from the railway that have probably never been in a church for years, or the people in the school, it, it, and it was a tremendous occasion. And we had an eight-piece band, and the last song was um, "There's a Place Where the Streets Shine," and people were actually dancing up the front of the church. And uh, you know, other people found this quite irreverent, um, but it was a good—if I can use that word—it was a good send-off, shall we say? Absolutely. So, we don't have to imagine there's no heaven, because there is a heaven. This is Hope FM. Well, of course, that is John Lennon there, and uh, talking about there not being a heaven, what if? But we know that there is, and here we are at Easter, and I hope that you're reading, of course, the fact that he has risen makes a huge difference to all of us, the wonderful hope that we have that as he rose from the dead, so you and I have that promise of sure and certain hope, the Bible calls us, of resurrection to eternal life. So although it was very difficult time for Eddie to say goodbye to Myra, he, he knew and worked through grief. But of course, there was something else that you had to work through, which of course is associated with Easter, and that's forgiveness. Because it was a, the accident was caused by reckless driving, yep. and it was only a young guy, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah, this uh, young lad from, from uh, Alderholt uh, was travelling down this little road from uh, Alderholt to, towards Ringwood, some of you may know it, and he was behind a lorry, and he had just passed his driving test, and he had been given this old sort of diesel car to drive. And as he was behind this lorry, he thought he would overtake it, and inadvertently, he changed from fourth gear, uh, from fourth gear, instead of changing from fourth down to third to get a bit of speed, he actually managed to change from fourth into fifth. And of course, he lost all power. And that road is tree lined, so halfway past uh, the lorry, Myra came around a corner, and bang, that was it. And uh, as far as I'm told, her death was, was instantaneous at that point. However, um, the story obviously went on and there was a lot to go through after that. And this young lad was uh, actually charged with causing death by dangerous driving. Of course, he didn't, co- he didn't try to cause the death. He didn't intend to kill Myra. In fact, he was one of her former pupils that she taught at Alderholt. And I didn't bear any malice towards this guy. I mean, it could have been me in a stupid moment when I was young. I was delivered from that in my Riley 1.5 that I loved at the time. But in the end, he was he was uh, appeared at, at court uh, and uh, 
charged with causing death by dangerous driving and that causes an automatic prison sentence. Some of you may or may not know that. But I went to to court and said that I did not want him to be sent to prison. He, He was very sorry for what he'd done and I forgave him. The interesting thing is that I had no difficulty forgiving him. Uh, he, he wasn't a believer as, as far as I know. I'm not sure if he is now. He may be. We still have occasional contact through a third party. But uh, I didn't have any trouble forgiving him because he, he, he was clearly very, very sorry for what he's done. And I do think that within the Christian church in general, forgiveness is is something that is underestimated and under emphasized there is so much teaching about uh, forgiveness in the bible that we ignore for example when we have communion there's a verse that says if we have anything against our brother or our sister then we should go and sort it out with them before we share communion together do you know i've never once seen that happen in a church we're all very good at forcing people to wear a hat if that's our belief but we're not very good at forcing them or encouraging people to make peace with someone, as the scripture entitled, encourages us to do. And another interesting side point to that is that in Psalm 66, I think it's verse 12, it might be further down the chapter, it says that if we have hold uh, unforgiveness in our heart, or words to that effect, then God will not hear our prayers. So if we are holding a grudge that we're refusing to deal with, God will not hear our prayers. That to me is scary. Either we believe the Bible or we don't. Either we accept it as God's word or we just pick out the bits that suit us. So for me, though, forgiveness was, it wasn't an option. It was something that actually I was pleased to do. I wasn't pleased that he killed my heart. Of course I wasn't. But I was pleased that I was able to show forgiveness to this young lad. And of course, for those of you who might wonder why we talk about Good Friday, it's because in the terrible death and suffering of our Lord Jesus on the cross, that actually that, all of it, all of his suffering, all of his separation from his Father was because of love. So Jesus and God is not asking us to do anything uh, that he hadn't done for all of us. We are forgiven and so we are required to forgive. And that's right at the core of what we're celebrating this weekend. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've known people who, who have said to me, I can't believe that God would forgive that terrible sin I have committed. But the Bible makes it clear in several ways that our sins are forgiven. They're removed as far as the east is from the west. They're buried in the depths of the sea. He will remember our sins and iniquities no more. We've got the same truth expressed in three different ways in the scriptures. We've got to believe it. Why not? Now, not only is God a God of forgiveness, but he's also a God of restoration. And um, and you were a little bit down the road t- to meet another lovely lady. I was indeed. Uh, that was deceit on her part, actually. Because, oh, my uh, goodness, Karen. I... I <laughs> I actually met, well, she actually was in the church where I was, and she would come and walk by dogs for me, because uh, I had two dogs, and obviously it was a difficulty getting them looked after, but she loved my dogs, and she would come and take them and take them for long walks, and uh, up the forest in, in Westmere's the plantation, 
And I thought, this is, this is someone for me. She was always in her welly boots and, and mucky from taking these dog walks. And I thought, this is my kind of woman. Little did I realise she was the cleanest, cleanest, tidiest person that was possible to marry. But, <laughs> but that, that, that balances my, my so situation the, the, out the, rather the, well. The deception was in the dirty boots. <laughs> the deception in the dirty boots, yeah. So, yeah. But uh, Karen, she knows all about me. She knew all about me. She knew what she was letting herself in for. And uh, she's been a great support to me for, would you believe, getting up for, this is what, 2009, uh, 13 years, next week, actually. Uh, we've been together, we said when we got married, or maybe the Lord will give us 10 years, and we've now it's 13. So so there we are, but so we're feeling thir- our age. 13 and still going strong. Now, this yeah. next piece of music, uh, it's sort of partly linked to that, isn't it? Yeah. All in a neighbourly evening, so tell us yeah. about it. Yeah, we had a, we had a low-key wedding at Pinehurst. Um, none of us wanted a big affair, things were different. We did have a bit of a reception with Roy Crown at Bowman Football Club afterwards, but the service itself was fairly uh, straightforward. It was at Easter time, as, as we know, in April. And this little song is sung by a, a choir, a Glasgow choir, I think it's called, it's either the Phoenix Choir or the Orpheus Choir, I'm not sure which one it is, but never mind. And it reflects on the, the Lamb of God, all in an April evening, I thought on the Lamb of God. And I think all the rest of the songs now will be will be spiritual, looking forward to the cross and beyond the cross. But this is one thinking about the cross that was led, the, the, the Lamb that was led to die, the Lamb of God that was, whose blood was shed for us all in the April evening.
This is Hope FM. Well, uh, Eddie Martin is my very special guest uh, today. And, of course, we talked a moment ago about the the tragic death of Myra because of a road accident. But the forgiveness that that Eddie was able to walk through to the young young boy who had had been involved in that accident. We're talking about restoration. And and it wasn't just the fact that that forgiveness was to take place. uh, And also, of course, that, that... uh, Eddie was to find love again in Karen. But then you, you got something else. You got an invitation to Africa, which, yeah. which caused a different turn. Yes, indeed. But uh, we have to remember that uh, God has planned things for us to do before the foundation of the world. So this was a surprise to me, but it was, it was all in God's plan. That's not to say that Myra's death was in God's plan, but God gives man free will, and that's the outcome of that. But God has the last laugh, if I could be so cynical as to put it that way. So after Myra was killed, uh, people would say things to me like, oh, why don't you go for a holiday? And if you can think, you might have been in this situation, it's not what you want to do. You don't want to nip off to Tenerife or somewhere, uh, or even even to a lonely place where it just accentuates the fact you're on your own. So I didn't go off for a holiday. I went back to work at the end of September. And then in November, I got a, an invitation from uh, Christine Bogkungu in, in Burkina Faso, who had been over in England and stayed with us in 1997 while she was here learning English, to go over and visit her and her family. So I went over there in January 2006 and I just saw one or two uh, it was safer there then than it is now, but uh, we saw one or two sites in the place and two were drowned, went, to a, went and saw some elephants and some monkeys and all that stuff and went to their churches, which were just absolutely amazing and uh, full of joy. It's the poorest country in the world with the happiest children in the world. That's the fact you don't believe that. Come with me next January and I'll show you what it's all about. But when we were there, uh, Christine and her husband, who's a teacher, Christine works full time in, in, a, in a, one of the, for an NGO. Her husband's a school teacher. Uh, they themselves, on their own, had built a school in a village. And when I say I built a school, that was um, uh, just with breeze blocks and desk and chairs. No doors, no windows, just breeze blocks, desks and chairs, a roof, of course. She took me to this school, and uh, there was three and a half classrooms. And there was about two and a half, or about 300 children pressed into these three and a half classrooms. And she told me that uh, the government had said that she had to have six classrooms for my age group, otherwise the school could not operate. And uh, so I said, oh, that's interesting. When it got to the last night before we were coming home, um, Myself and uh, an elderly lady from Pinehurst called Maureen Russell were sat around this uh, coffee table in the bungalow where we were staying. And I said to her, how much is it going to cost to finish the half-built classroom? And just to make make it simple, she said, she didn't use English money, but let's imagine she did. She was going to cost £327.50. And and I thought, oh, well, that's not too much money. When I got home, I'm sure we can find that money to finish that uh, that um, classroom. And then I thought to myself, I wonder how much money I've got with me. I was going home that night. Um, there was no need for to have any local money or even need any money now till I got back. And uh, so I decided to empty all my pockets, empty my wallet. And in this were some dollars, 
some euros, some pounds and some West African francs. And when we added up all this money, you know, it's a heap of coins and notes of little value in themselves, it came to the exact amount to the penny that we needed to finish this classroom. <coughs> so I had no hesitation, <coughs> excuse me, and just pushing this money across the table uh, to Christine. Christine started to cry. Her sister who was there, she started to cry. I started to cry. And this other lady, I shouldn't have mentioned her name, should I? She said to us, why are you crying? Isn't it good news? And it stayed with me that someone could see how God could could arrange this, because only God could arrange it to be the exact amount, uh, and not be moved by that. So she got the money, finished the classroom. When I got home, there was still one more classroom needed. I told this story to one of the elders in Pinehurst, a man called Stan Orman. I told him the story. He said, can you find out how much it would cost to build the remaining classroom? And when I told him, he paid for the remaining classroom to be built. So the school was finished. But there was no water at the school. Nearest water was four miles away. So children would come with a little water, but there was no water to wash your hands, no water for toilets, nothing within four kilometres. So I said, how much would a well cost? At that time, a a drilled well, because it has to be a drilled well, would be £4,000. So I said to Christine, well, when I get... I was home at that time. I said, I'll ask my friends and ask Myra's friends if they can contribute towards a well. And when I I made that appeal, I didn't get £4,000. I got £8,000. Two wells. Two wells. One in the village of Zongo and one in another village called Bingo. So that was it. The numbers came up right for Bingo on that occasion and for Zongo, and we had two wells at these schools. And, of course, those wells have continued. I mean, how many have you got now? Uh, I'm not sure I can give you a totally accurate answer. At least 250, (laughs) because we're, we're doing eight at this point in time. And you mentioned about going out in January. So yep. do you go out yourself once a year? Once a year. I've been out every year, once a year, with a couple of exceptions in the early days. Now, of course, those wells have made a, a huge difference uh, to, the, to the children and to the people in those, in those villages. But also people have come to know Christ, haven't they? You have to know in many, many cases. Thousands of cases. I wouldn't care to put a number on it, but it's, it's, it's thousands and thousands to the effect there's at least 30 new church fellowships, each with 100 people in them, apart from ones that are attached to existing churches. So it's been amazingly blessed by God. And I know nothing about water and wells, really. <laughs> I know nothing about building churches. But God has enabled me to play my my little part in that. So it's been, it's been an amazing journey of seeing faith realised, that what God can do. Well, let's have your next piece of music, and this is Show Me My Saviour. Introduce this one for us, Eddie. Yeah, the piece itself was one that uh, Myra sung when he was, he was in a choir in Glasgow, but we, uh, not in, yes, in Glasgow, after we got married between 1974 and 79, and it's called Show Me My Saviour. And you even get to hear me um, at one verse, and the main singer is Sonia from Verwood, who has been very helpful. And this song is on a CD called Show Me My Saviour, and we've still got some of these uh, if you want them. Blair will tell you what to do if you want one. Well, let's have a listen to the song. 
And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And he said unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. Well, you heard there a moment or two ago that uh, that because of Mara's uh, death and the, the wonderful work in Africa with some couple of hundred wells having been established to provide water, but more important than that, many, many hundreds of lives, maybe even thousands of lives, being impacted uh, throughout Africa. And ha- have they all been in Burkina Faso? Yes, they've all been in Burkina Faso. Um, 
We took that decision right at the start because obviously people need wells everywhere. But we took the decision to to uh, do Burkina Faso, and they need eight thousand wells. So I don't think we're going to get that far. So you're scratching the surface. Of scratching it. the surface. There and are other agencies involved as well, of course. And of course, you did say there that Burkina Faso is one of the poorest, if not the poorest yeah. country, uh, you know, in in Africa. Yeah. But but how did you find sort of faith in the vibrancy of worship uh, in Africa compared, of course, to state of things here in the United Kingdom? Yeah. Well, bearing in mind that Africa, uh, or Burkina Faso, is 70% Muslim and 30% Christian, if that, there's other religions as well, and animus and so on. Bearing that in mind, the Christians are in a minority, and they're under a, they're under a lot more opposition than, than we are, but they wear their faith on their sleeve. Well, actually, they wear their faith on their shirts, because very often they'll go around with bright African shirts with a text on it, the Lord is my shepherd, or something else. So they're very bold about their faith, and uh, they've no problem uh, about about sharing their faith, which is amazing. At the church near where I uh, stay when I'm in Africa, it's a very big church. Um, the service, the main service, is at eight o'clock on a Sunday morning. I've got maybe a quarter mile walk from where I live to get to that church, and as I'm walking up about quarter to eight, the choir's already there. The choir might have 150 people in it. And, uh, you know, if they're singing a song that I know, which they sometimes do, like How Great Thou Art or, or Thine Be The Glory, they love singing Thine Be The Glory. Um, uh, but uh, it, it just it uplifts your spirit, just, just walking along, uh, listening to it. And I was saying to someone earlier, the, the, the words of Thine Be The Glory in the African language, when translated back, actually say, yours is the glory, yours is the glory. And it just seems that you're talking a little bit more directly. Nothing wrong with the original version, of course, but church life is is amazing. Really so is. it's a vibrant, and of course they like a bit of a dance, don't they? They like a bit of a dance. I'll, I'll tell you a little one funny story about that. Yeah, they'll always have a bit of dancing uh, when they're singing, and uh, sometimes it goes on a long, long time. You could have a three-hour service, and uh, they'll be dancing at the beginning and dancing at the end, but complete silence when the, when the, the Bible's being taught, I have to say. There was one occasion when I was this big church and uh, there was all, the, all the, the women dancing around the church and the men as well. And there was this one woman who was sort of looked as though she was glued to her seat uh, and she was breastfeeding uh, a baby. But you could see she really wanted to be dancing. So eventually, uh, I'm not sure whether it was better judgment or bad judgment, but she decided she was just going to join in in the dancing. But she didn't stop breastfeeding her baby while she was doing it. So you had this picture of this woman dancing around the church, singing a praise song, breastfeeding her baby at the same time. So that's Africa for you. Absolutely, yeah. But then, of course, coming back, as you do, to the UK, I mean, how, how, what's your view of the spiritual temperature here? In Africa, um, there is a much more, a much stronger bond between churches of different, shall I say, beliefs or doctrinal basis, whatever you want to call it. Um, you don't get this, I'm not going to belong to this organization because or because you don't meet at a certain time of day or because you don't use a certain verse in the Bible. There, there's none of that. There is, if you meet someone who is a, believes in the Lord Jesus and trusts him, then he's your brother. And so you'll get situations, which wouldn't happen here very often, where 
a very evangelical or Pentecostal minister or pastor might actually find him one one Sunday having doing a pulpit spot with someone who's a priest in the Roman Catholic Church. Not that there's so many of them. And I queried that, and he said, "Well, we're, I know that man. I know he trusts the Lord Jesus as his saviour. I know he's one of my brothers. So what right have I got to judge him? But we have an understanding that he won't stand in my platform and say anything that he knows would conflict with our, our you know, our practices and our theology." In fact, when the mission started there in the 20s and 30s of the last century, at one point, all the mission agencies came together and sort of parceled out the country and said, we'll, we'll do that part, we'll do that part, and we'll do that part. So you'll get Baptist churches in one area and uh, a few Anglican churches in another area and lots of Pentecostal churches everywhere. So there's a much happier spirit of being one in Christ Jesus. And we... We tend to sort of deny that by the way we the way we act and the way we look down on people who don't do things the way we do. Do you think that maybe one of the reasons of that is that, of course, there's a considerable amount of persecution, you know, there. You've already said that that people wear their hearts on their sleeves, but, but of course, they don't, they don't have a, the eases of lives, either in terms of their faith or indeed of their way of, of living. No, they don't. And... In, in one sense, um, Islam is, is a problem, and uh, but there are there are still situations where they get on quite well with with the Muslims locally. They're not all at each other's throats. There's some cases where we we for example we put a well in in between two villages that are about a mile apart. One was a Christian village, one was a Muslim village, and they both wanted a well. And we said, well, we're not going to give you two wells because we can't afford it. But now are we going to give the Christian village a well at the expense of the Muslim village? So we said, talk to each other, and if we can put a well in the middle, then, you know, that's where we'll put it. And that's what happened. But on that well, the local pastor has put, uh, has put uh, uh, his own sort of text to say that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So that well's a witness to the, the whole population. Well, let's play something a bit African. Otherwise, uh, you, you know, your, your nearest and dearest Karen will be saying, now, where was the flavour of Africa? Uh, the, the one that we picked off the CD, I don't know whether I'm pronouncing this right, but it's Noor. Have I pronounced it right? Uh, I've no idea. Well, the, the, well, the problem is, the problem is, Blair, there's 72 different languages, so which language is it? Well, tell you what, let's just enjoy <laughs> the music. <laughs> I, I do know it stands for authority. I did ask the question, what does the word mean? It means God's authority, God's in control. Well, let's enjoy. Thank you. 
Well, now I know how to pronounce the song. <laughs> it's Nore. <laughs> yeah. What that means is something else. <laughs> so those of you who are fluent in some of the, the, the languages, you know, in Africa, you might want to put me straight <laughs> about that. But I mean, obviously, here we are in this, in this wonderful Holy Week, celebrating, of course, the death and resurrection of, of Jesus. As you've reflected, Eddie, you know, on Good Friday and on all that we've talked about today, you know, what, what is good about Good Friday? Well, everything. Um, that sounds uh, trite, but if there was no Good Friday, there would be no good news. And so Good Friday is good. Good Friday was the occasion in which it became possible for us to become citizens of a heavenly kingdom, part of God's kingdom, part of God's, not just his kingdom, but of his family. Remember that God said we are, we are his children, we have to call him our father. And not only that, but Jesus said he's not ashamed to call us his brothers and his sisters, presumably. Now, I don't go around saying I've got a brother you haven't yet met yet called Jesus, but there'll be nothing wrong with saying that because that's how Jesus identifies with us in his true humanity. So, yeah, Good Friday was the day when he made it all possible. Mm. I know, I don't know, did you ever see the movie The Passion of, of the Christ? Uh, the one that went, it was a film that had probably more than any other movie that I've seen. It was Mel Gibson produced it, and he couldn't get anybody to produce it. Uh, uh, and he had eventually had to fund the movie himself. But the portrayal of the the time up to the crucifixion and the crucifixion itself, and indeed the flogging scene, it was just terrible. It, it was mm. it actually is depicted the way it probably was. Mm. Uh, but it, uh, many people find that it was just too much. But of course Jesus went through a horrific death, although his actual death on the cross was fairly quickly because people died of suffocation on the cross and when you know when Jesus when they they went to check on Jesus he had already he had already died, you know, but nonetheless of course uh, agonizing. The disciples his mom they didn't get it did they right right up until that Easter morning. Why do you think that was? Well, I don't know. I'm often amazed at the number of people that we think are wonderful in the Bible, like David and and, and Moses and Peter uh, and all the rest of them, not to mention Judas, who actually lived with Jesus and could see what he did. And then we read about the disciples after the Garden of Gethsemane. They all forsook him and fled. And I think these are... You know, they, they just couldn't cope with it. Their expectation was that this man was actually going to take over in some political way, even no matter the fact he could do miracles. They didn't see the, the sort of true nature of the end result of what uh, what he'd done, or even the necessity for it, despite the fact they had it all predicted in the Old Testament. Well, a song, of course, that we will sing probably on Good Friday, many of us will, uh, is When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Is this mm. one of your favourite ones? The tune is, if it's the right tune, but yeah, it's, it's a hymn that, it's one of these hymns that familiarity can breed contempt because we're used to singing it and we sing it when I survey the wondrous cross. Yeah, that's, it's very, very difficult for us, for us to do. I mean, if we did actually get the chance to see the cross, we'd probably turn our eyes away. And, uh, you know, but one thing we can see is that we can't, we can't survey the wondrous cross with Jesus there because he's not there. 
and so you, you don't you don't sing it in that sense. You sing it as you know just the the instrument or the tool that God used to to provide the sacrifice uh, for our sins. Well, uh, there's many versions of the song, and I don't know whether I've got the right tune for you. But this is Keith Getty and Christine uh, Getty uh, with their version of okay. that well, much loved hymn. We'll make do with that. <laughs> This is Hope FM. Well, of course, that was when I surveyed the wondrous cross. There are many stories that Eddie could tell uh, about uh, those wells and the differences it's made to people's lives. But give us a give us a couple of little anecdotes. Yeah, a couple of anecdotes um, of many, many, many anecdotes. I wonder if you believe in miracles. Actually, I don't know how you can be a Christian and say you don't believe in miracles, but uh, I'm not talking about miracles to order or miracles to suit you, but just miracles. Before I mention the two African anecdotes, when I worked on the railway, go back to about 2012, we have to get an annual medical. And I went off to London to get my medical. One of these things is you get your hearing tested. And you go in this booth, some of you know what it is, and you've got to press this button every time you hear a noise. And uh, so we went through that for a couple of minutes and then the, the little African paramedic who was in charge uh, gave me the thumbs down and said, I'm sorry, but I can't pass you on that. Your, your le- the range in your left ear is not sufficient. But don't worry, we'll do it again. So we did it again with exactly the same result. So I came out to Booth and she was just about to fill up the paper saying that I'd failed this medical when she noticed uh, a book that I had brought to read on the journey called An Introduction to the Gifts of the Spirit by Sam Storms. If you've not read that book, I recommend it. So she looked at the book and looked at me and said, Are you a Christian? And I said, Yes. So you believe in miracles? (laughs) Hmm. Yes. Okay. I've no one else coming today. Can I pray for you? And then we'll do the test again. So she prayed for me in quite an animated way, and I went back into this booth, and we did the test again, and boy, was I nervous. And that, the third time, I really thought, this is not what I'm used to. And at the end of that test, the machine's gunning out the printout, and she just gave me the thumbs up, and something had happened. And that was just such an exciting thing to me. But shortly after that, we were drilling for a well in a, in a place up towards the north of Burkina. Uh, I've just forgotten the, the name of it, Dapani. And the drillers worked all there all day. They made two or three attempts to get a, a well. There was not, you can't, you're no guarantee of water. You get it most times, but not all. At the end of this day, there was no water. And uh, the, the drillers were packing up. And the local village came and pled with the drillers to stay one overnight and try again in the morning and if they would do that then they would get the whole church 400 people to come and pray all night for water and they did and the next morning they got water in a place where the driller said there was no water well that was a miracle there's been many places like that but that's a memorable one the other one is when one day we were out in another village near Tenkudigo and uh, we were just trudging back from this well through this village and we came across this woman who was just lying flat on a mat under a mango tree, basically looked as though she was virtually dead. She was, in fact, just about dead. So some of the Christians' friends said to, to the guys there, can we pray for her? And they, they said, no, no, she'll be dead in a couple of hours. And they said, no, but we can still pray for her. No, no, there's no point in praying because uh, she's a Muslim. 
And we said, well, look, it can't actually do any harm to pray. If she's going to die in two hours anyway, what's the, what harm is it going to do in praying? So they, they said, okay. So some of these Christians got down and, and got down prostrate on the floor and prayed again for this woman for quite some time. And then we walked away. Nothing apparently happened. That was Friday. We went to church nearby on the Sunday, and this woman turned up on a bicycle. This was just blew my blew my mind away, really, that God can actually move. If it's his will and he wants to show his power, then he can do it. He doesn't do it all the time. Of course he doesn't. We are mortal and we pass on. But God is a God of miracles. And there's been numerous occasions in Africa where you see a miraculous God at work. Well, Eddie, thank you so much for being my guest today. We're almost at the end of the program. Now, if you want to uh, even talk to Eddie about going out to, uh, to Burkina Faso and saying things for yourself or if you'd like to get a hand of some of those books that we talked about, the Mara's Well book, Not Very Far uh, or uh, the, the one from the Song of Solomon, when the full title of which it is How to Know Int- Intimacy with Your Saviour and Your Spouse. Now you can go to uh, this website, which is Eddie. Email, email address. Yeah, email address, yes, as Eddie at MyerasWells.org, and you'll get some information there. Obviously, you can give me a shout here at the station, and I can connect you in to Eddie. Uh, but for now, from, uh, from Eddie and from myself, Blair Crawford, is goodbye. God bless. Remember, he is risen. Shout that loud and clear. And, of course, the, the wonderful difference that that makes to all of us. Uh, taking us out of the programme today, another song chosen by Eddie. And because of all that Jesus has done, there is a sure and certain hope. Bye-bye. This is Hope FM.